Well, good morning, church. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor, and I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're starting a new series, uh, and but gosh, man, when Ben said this is week five of the coronavirus, I was like, dang, has it been that long? It doesn't feel like it's been five Sundays, and uh, maybe because the time is crawling by because we're all in quarantine, I'm not sure, but, uh, but I'm glad to be here. We're starting a new series, and I'm really excited to be able to share this with you, what God has put on my heart for you. Uh, and what comes from his word, especially in light of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated Easter Sunday last week. Um, and so I want to start just by sharing with you that um, I personally have been reading and studying the Bible for 30 years, for 30 years. And I got to tell you, for most of my life studying the Bible, I've always struggled with the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because for a long time, I thought they were boring. I can say that and be honest. Um, I thought they were just a bunch of good, like a bunch of stories about things that Jesus said and what he did. And, and the stories were cool, but to me, the best parts of the Bible were the letters. The letters, like Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians, Galatians, like were the letters that the, most of them that, were Paul, that, that Paul wrote, because the letters explain the meaning of what Jesus did. And the meaning that, and all the theology and the understanding of, of what, uh, what the death and resurrection of Jesus meant, all that stuff felt to me like it was explained uh, in the epistles. And so I just thought that was where all the action was. And the gospels were just sort of like, this is kind of what had to happen in order for us to see uh, the implications of it all. Um, and another thing that kind of bugged me about this was that I felt like the gospels ended right when they were starting to get good. <laughs> you know, the resurrection of Jesus was like the, the, the beginning of the beginning. It was like the beginning of everything. And so, um, so I've always just kind of struggled with that. Like, why do the Gospels end with the resurrection? Why isn't that the beginning of, of what's next instead? And, uh, and earlier this year, I, I was thinking, and I was, I was thinking about the Bible, and, and something struck me in a new way. Um, what I was thinking about specifically was all the disagreements that are in the life of Jesus. When you read the Gospels, all four of the Gospels, there's all sorts of fights in the Gospels about God, about religion, you know, which God was right. And then even among the people that believe that in the same God, supposedly believe in the same God, what does that God require? And even among the Jews, among the people that Jesus, you know, was a part of, even among the Jews, God's people, there were all kinds of religious parties. They're kind of like political parties in our day and age, except back then there were a lot more than two of them. And each of these religious parties, each had a story that they were telling about what was wrong with the world and what... Um, and what was wrong with their country, and why God wasn't blessing them more, and each one had a story about what needed to happen in order for God to come and to bless his people again. And then Jesus showed up, and when Jesus showed up, he said, he looked at all the parties that were out there, and he said, look, y'all, you've all missed the mark. Um, there may be some parts of your party and in, in your affiliation that are right, but overall, you're wrong. Jesus said, overall, you've missed God. And then Jesus, in his life and in his teaching, he came with a different way of being God's people. He came with a different way of knowing God. And everyone who was in charge of Israel at that time, everyone thought Jesus was wrong. I mean, everyone. 
And if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus is criticized, he's judged, he's mistreated, he's manipulated, he's tested, he's interrogated, he's threatened by people who thought he was wrong. And the people who watched the last week of Jesus' life, the people who saw the way that the religious leaders turned on Jesus, arrested him, tried him, handed him over, and he was beaten. I mean, the people who saw Jesus crucified, they had to come to the conclusion. There was no other conclusion that you could make other than that Jesus must have been wrong. Because if he was who he says he was, he shouldn't be hanging on a cross, defeated by his enemies. But, but, And this is the glorious news of Easter. The resurrection of Jesus meant that he was right the whole time. The resurrection of Jesus is God saying to the world, Jesus is right. And so Jesus, he was right about everything. And this, this reality that the the cross and then the resurrection, more the, the resurrection than the cross, but that the resurrection, it should give you confidence. Christianity exists. The reason that we're here, the reason you're tuning in, the reason you're taking time out of your Sunday to devote it to worshiping God is because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection was Jesus' vindication. It was Jesus' exoneration, his validation that Jesus is right. And I have to tell you, this isn't arrogance, it's excitement. Because if Jesus is right, then what Jesus said about God is right. What Jesus said about people is right. What he said about salvation is right. What he said about the things that we need to do to fix our broken world is right. And so again, this gives us confidence because our world is not unlike Jesus' world in the first century in that there are so many different opinions about God and about what is right and about what God wants and what would please God and what the solution to our world is. And if Jesus is right, we can have confidence. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then again, we can have confidence in our faith. We can have confidence in Jesus. And so if Jesus is right and he and his resurrection is the culmination of the gospel narratives, if it's the climax of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Because in some ways then the four gospels, they all have this dramatic tension because Jesus is on the scene. He's doing things. He's saying things. Is he right? Like that's the question. And so of course now actually when I finally understood this, I finally realized like, oh wait, hold on. That's why the resurrection of Jesus is the end of the story. It's because, wait, now this means that everything that Jesus said is right. That Jesus is right because he rose from the dead. And so if that's the case, if Jesus is right and the resurrection proves he's right, then we actually have to go back through the Gospels. We have to go back and read them again to find out what he was right about. We need to realize that now it's not just a man who's saying this, but it's the man who rose from the dead who is telling us this. And so there's every reason for us to then go back and read what he said. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to look at the gospel that Matthew wrote. And we're going to see today who Jesus is for us. Who Jesus is for us. 
we know as, as, um, as a church that loves the gospel, loves the good news of Jesus, that Jesus did things for us. And we want to see what those things are in Matthew's gospel today. And so there's really three things that Jesus is for us. And in these ways, he is for us what we could never be on our own. Okay, and so first, Matthew teaches us that Jesus is the one to lead us to God. Jesus is the one to lead us to God. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is the story of Jesus' baptism. It says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so God the Spirit descends on Jesus, and God the Father expresses his great pleasure in Jesus, his love for Jesus. And the reality is, for us, is that when we're baptized, we too are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so Jesus for us means that we are adopted. It means acceptance with God. It means that we're part of his family. It means that God is on your side. No matter where you are, no matter what is going on in your life, God is on your side. Matthew 17, verse 5, God says something similar, but he adds something to it that helps us understand what this means and and the implications of this. This is at the transfiguration of Jesus. But verse 5 of Matthew 17 says, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Jesus for us means that he is the one to lead us to God. And the resurrection proves that Jesus is right, And so we should listen to him. Going further, Matthew 16, verses 13 um, 13 through 17 says this. It says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the Son of Man is is a term that Jesus used for himself. And so he's really just describing, he's saying, who does everybody say that I am? Verse 14, and they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so here Peter is saying what God himself said twice already uh, in the gospel and Jesus answered him, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so when we commit our lives to the leadership of Jesus, when we realize that Jesus, Jesus is the one who came to lead us to God, and we commit our lives to his leadership, Jesus says that you are blessed. So Jesus is the one who leads us to God. Second thing Matthew shows us is that Jesus is the one who conquers evil. We see this in Matthew's gospel. And Jesus did this himself for us because we are not strong enough to do this on our own. 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so the whole chapter describes the temptation scenario that went on with Jesus and the devil. But the point of this is that Jesus conquered tempter and temptation. That Jesus conquered the power behind what is broken with the world. Jesus conquered the power that is in even each one of us that makes the world broken. In Matthew 12, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus was doing miracles, and they were saying, well, where is he getting this power? And Jesus is saying, I'm doing this by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he goes on in verse 29, he says, or how can someone enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. And so you see what he's saying here is that if you got some guy who's 6'5", 230 pounds, just a massively built man who's unbelievably strong, you can't break into his home and steal his stuff if he is around, right? He'll crush you. He'll beat you. He'll hold you down. You can't do that. You can't steal his stuff unless he's tied up. But if you can figure out a way to bind him first, then once he's bound, you're free to take everything he has. And Jesus is saying this. This is even more explicit than Matthew chapter 4. This is more explicit. The strong man here is the devil. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, my miracles prove that I am binding the devil, the Satan, I am overcoming the personification of all evil. And so Jesus claimed that his miracles were done by the power of God. And the resurrection of Jesus means that he is right. Jesus binds the devil so that we can be freed from his strong grip. And so Jesus is, first, the one who leads us to God. Second, Jesus is the one who conquers evil. And now finally, the resurrection proves, third, that Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the one who saves us. Matthew 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. This is the author of this gospel. So Matthew puts his own story in. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Verse 10, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, the Pharisees were the religious leaders, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Crazy judgment here. Verse 12, but when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, Hey, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this. Jesus was famous for eating with tax collectors and sinners. These were the outcasts of society, sort of the dregs, the people that nobody, that everyone looked down on. Jesus came for these people. 
He came for the broken, came for those who had no one else. And lest we are tempted to think that we're among the righteous and not among the sinners, Jesus also said this in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. He said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Say defile, it's, it's another way of just saying that these, this, these are what makes a person a sinner. And so Jesus is saying, if any of these things come out of your heart, then you're a sinner. That we're sinners because sin comes from within us. And so we need saving because of our sin. Evil thoughts come from our hearts. Evil desires. Hypocrisy. I mean, we treat others worse than we treat ourselves. We act differently in public than we act in private. And this is important because when Jesus accepted sinners, when Jesus hung out with sinners, those sinners aren't just those people out there, but we too are those people. And I think we always have to be aware of the fact that churchgoers sometimes get this messed up. And it's kind of a natural thing that happens. You know, when you begin to follow Jesus, he begins to work in your life. You begin to experience his power. You begin to experience some change and some transformation. And it's exciting. It's wonderful. Like Jesus is making us different. And there's things about us. We're growing, we're learning, and things begin to improve in certain aspects of our lives. And it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of looking at people who maybe are struggling with things that we don't struggle with anymore. And we begin to wonder, well, what's wrong with them? Like, why can't they get their act together? I got my act together. I mean, of course, with Jesus, but now I'm different from them. Jesus came to get that kind of arrogance out of us. Jesus came because of the impatience with others that is in us, the lack of grace that can come out of our hearts, out of our minds. It shows us how sick we can be and how much we need Jesus, the great physician. And it goes on, like Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus there, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love this. That those who are poor in spirit are blessed. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, it means, you know, you know what it means to be poor, right? If you don't have any money. And so poor in spirit means you are spiritually bankrupt. Jesus is saying, blessed are the spiritual zeros. And the idea here that Jesus is saying is, he's, he's saying, blessed are the people who understand that they are spiritual zeros. The opposite of this is arrogance. The opposite of this is hypocrisy. The opposite of this is thinking that you are better than you really are. And Jesus is saying, look, the people in the world that God is blessing are the people who know that they have nothing to offer God. That they come to him needing mercy. And so if you've hit the bottom, you're in the right place. Jesus says you're blessed. Now, how can he say this? Well, 
Because in Matthew 9, verses 2 to 4, it says this, And behold, some people brought to him, to Jesus, a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes, again, religious leaders, said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. So again, this is the conflict that existed between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. Jesus offers this man forgiveness, and the scribes say, no, Jesus, you're wrong. They say, only God can forgive sins. And the question is, well, who is right? And the resurrection says, Jesus is right. And so the reason why you're blessed if you are a spiritual zero, the reason why you're blessed if you have nothing going for you is because Jesus has the authority to forgive your sin. I know what it's like. There are moments when there's things that you do and you just feel awful about yourself. And the clearer that you are about what you've done or what you've thought or even who you are, the more you want to distance yourself from other people. You don't want anybody else into your darkness. But Jesus came and he treated people like he wanted to be in the darkest places so that he could say, if you realize that this is who you are, you're blessed. If you come to me in this condition, I will not cast you out. I will welcome you and make you my brother, my sister. We will be children of God together. This is why the gospel is good news. Now, how does he forgive sins? Well, Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, verses 38 to 41, it says, then two robbers were crucified with him. So this is Jesus now on the cross, and there were two robbers, one on each side, one on the right hand and one on the left. And look at this scene. As Jesus is there dying, as he's been tortured and crucified, verse 39, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. They're making fun of him, and they're saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. They're using Jesus' words against him. Yeah, we heard you say that you could do this amazing thing. Well, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Verse 41, so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders. So three of the religious leaders, three of the groups of religious leaders, they mocked him saying he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Again, this is the conflict on the cross. How could you argue with them? On what basis could you have anything to say when the one that you are following is hanging on a cross? And yet, these religious leaders, they completely missed it. They completely missed it. They thought that they were right. They thought that Jesus' death meant that he was wrong but they missed why Jesus was dying. They said he saved others, he cannot save himself. The reality is that Jesus refused to save himself so that he could save 
others. He refused to save himself so that he could save others. When this takes hold of your heart, it changes you. When you realize that Jesus is God's chosen leader, that he overcame evil, and that he saves us. When you realize it's not just that he saves us, but he saves you. It changes you. It gives you comfort. It gives you companionship. It gives you assurance. It gives you strength. I want to share with you a story from uh, this week. I met with um, Barbara Morrison this week because I wanted you to see what it looks like for someone to come into a relationship with Jesus and the power of his resurrection, what it looks like in her life. Watch this. Hello, Harbor City Church. Uh, I, this is Pastor Steve. I'm in the home of Barbara Morrison. Many of you know her and love her. Oh, wait, let me say first, um, these are Clorox. He sterilized himself. I've sterilized myself. <laughs> I've literally wiped my face down with disinfecting wipes, which you're not supposed to do. Like, it's burning my skin right here, right now. My hands, my arms, everything. And so, and I haven't touched Barbara. I'm not going to touch Barbara. So, no. just want to make sure that's clear. We're sitting six feet apart. We are. And so, yes, we're staying socially distant. <laughs> so, having said that, yeah, Barbara, how has it been? How has life this, been? This... Yeah. In the pandemic, quarantine. Yes, you're quarantined now. Well, I mean, it's just—it it just seems like it's going on forever. I mean, it's, it, some of you may know I was in a hospital from the first of week in January to the first week in March, which is a very long time to be in the hospital. It can get really lonely. I finally got out of the hospital into the quarantine. It was like the next day. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Uh, and so you go from one lonely period to another lonely period. And there are times, I mean, I'm doing okay, uh, but there are times, especially just before I go to bed at night, when my spirit is so sad and so lonesome that it, it makes it really difficult to, to keep up a, a positive attitude. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's a struggle. And fortunately, I'm not alone in that struggle. There's a lot of us going through that struggle. And there's one who went through it a long time ago before we ever came along. And Jesus, Jesus knows about our struggle. To know that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, and that he's here. And he's with us and he understands what we're going through and there's nothing that we're going through now that is more difficult than what he went through so he understands what we're going through and he's right there with me and he's he's there to comfort me and to to, to help hold me up and to understand that when I'm not up you know, that I can't always be up. But I don't have to be alone because Jesus is risen. 
and he's here and he's alive and I'm not alone he's with me and that that comforts me more than anything else yeah and um, how is the church minister to you oh my church family is wonderful um, I haven't had to go out for, for anything my my friends have done my grocery shopping um, and they've they come to visit when they can, you know, they, and they call me on the phone and they include me. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now participating in a small group, which I haven't for a long time. Just to know that my church family is there if I need them. You know, people like Joel and Christina, Chad, Molly, Beth Buckner. I mean, these people and, and hundreds more of you, I'm sure, who pray for us every day. Uh, Bernice has been so faithful with the prayer team, and it's a wonderful family. We're a wonderful family together. Friends, family, um, Barbara knows Jesus. And it's not just that she knows the fact of the resurrection, but Barbara is committed to the one who was resurrected. That's the gospel. That's the relationship that the gospel invites us into. Um, and, you know, I think this is why our faith ends up growing when things are hard. It's because when things are hard, we're leaning more on Jesus. We're actually investing more proactively in our prayers, in our seeking him, in our efforts to try to understand his will. Um, and when things are good, sometimes we're just not spending any time chasing after Jesus. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, man, Jesus is, is the key to Barbara's life. I mean, that's how she can endure so much, and she still worships God. She knows that the resurrected Jesus is right. She's committed to him, and he is with her, and he gives her strength even in the loneliness of the quarantine. And so, what does this mean for you? Right? What is Jesus then? Who is Jesus for you? Um, well, he offers to be your leader. He offers to conquer evil in your life. And he offers to save you. Because when we commit to following the one who is right, we become right too. This is actually what the word justification means. Like, it means that we are right we are right to follow Jesus. We will be vindicated at some point in the future. We will be exonerated. We'll be validated. Um, and so Romans 10, 9 and 10 spells this out. It says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means that he is your leader, he is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So two things, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And Jesus, in his resurrection, when you commit your life to him as the resurrected one, everything changes. Everything changes. He begins to work in your life, and God is now with you, and so if, for those of you who aren't Christians, this is how you become one. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. 
and he will forgive your sins. You commit your life to him and he begins to work in your life. If you struggle with whether or not the resurrection actually happened, let us know. Use that virtual connect card. Um, send us a direct message on Facebook. Um, we'd love to connect with you and help you to understand what the proof is of the resurrection, why we all know that this happened in history. But this isn't just for folks that aren't Christians. Brothers and sisters in the family of God already, this is also for you. Um, I have a good friend of mine from a long time ago. Um, he said that he has been able to look for God in the midst of all of the pandemic. And he said, I've been renewed through the means of quarantine and the COVID virus and all the uncertainty that relates to it. This is what he said. He said, my love for my wife and my children is being renewed. My love, patience, and understanding for people is being renewed. He said, my desire, acceptance, and eager anticipation to embrace change is being renewed. My eagerness to work and to appreciate the blessing of having skill to do, to do something, to earn a living, that is being renewed. My desire to refine my skills and continue learning is being renewed. My love and trust in my heavenly father is being refined and renewed. That to be quarantined and to be on furlough, it should have caused unbearable stress, anxiety, and fear. But this pulverizing is exactly what I needed to be renewed. For me thus far, it hasn't been a furlough or quarantine as much as it's been a time of renewal. Thank you, God. Your providence, whether bitter or sweet, is always perfect. Oh, man. I felt like when I read this, I was like, he just handed me a pair of glasses, and now I see the world with new eyes. I see my life with new eyes. Everything's different when you have this kind of perspective. When we can look for and see how God is working in all of this, we begin to see him. And so look this week. Look today. Look back over the last week. Where has God been in your life? Give him thanks for that. Worship him for that. And where will he be in the week to come? Now that you've gotten these glasses, these lenses of the gospel, to see him. And if you, if you look and you can't find him, friends, this is why we have to stay connected during this time of quarantine. We need to stay safe, but to stay connected. Join our virtual life groups. They're all virt virtual now. Um, again, use the connect card if you need help connecting to one of our groups. But Jesus, he had God's vindication and validation. He is right. And when we follow him, we commit to him. We find that we are right too, and he's with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the transforming power of Jesus, alive and at work in our lives. Thank you for the assurance that the resurrection means that we can trust everything that Jesus said, that we can follow him. I pray, Jesus, that you would draw near to each one of us and give us your encouragement and your comfort. Fill us so that we might comfort and encourage each other. Thank you for what you're doing in Barbara's life, in the lives of so many hundreds of people in our church. We love you for that.
and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.